Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Alrighty. Gather in your conversations. Couple of other things to say. I do, I do apologize. A uh, few things to get through by way of announcement this morning. Um, this, there's another couple that I want to uh, honor really quickly. Um, it's their last Sunday here, and that's Michael and Karen Guildford. Um, uh, really sad. Um, Michael and Karen are uh, moving up to the Sunshine Coast, living a life of luxury. Um, you still have some, some units down here, don't you, uh, with Airbnb. So, you know, whenever you're staying down here, guys, you need to come and visit. They have been, uh, they've been a, a real blessing in the, over the last 12, 18 months uh, since they've been part of our community. Very quickly started a life group here in the city, and uh, that's flourishing. And uh, Kit and Laurie are taking over that, from what I can tell, or what I've, what I've been told. Uh, if not, you are now. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and, they've, and they've been uh, just, uh, you've, you've been an amazing blessing. And also just, Karen, Karen is just a powerhouse. If anyone knows Karen, she just, she's like a Tasmanian devil, comes in and just starts things. And so really got our uh, cafe uh, moving. And uh, so we, we, we will miss you. You've been an absolute blessing to our community. So we just uh, honour Karen. What's that? And Thursday as well with our care ministry as well. So... Um, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Karen. Um, just one other thing too. Our retreat is in two weeks' time. And so if you haven't signed up, you need to be there. We've dialed back a bit of the content this, this, uh, uh, this uh, retreat. I'm really excited to have Dan and Steph Sweetman with us. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns, please come and see us. We'd love to have you there for the whole weekend. If you don't have a tent, if you don't have sleeping bags, you don't have any of that, we can source all of that. We can sort you out. Uh, do come and see me at the end of the service if you've got any questions, but please do sign up. We do need to get all the details uh, sorted. Um, if you can only make it for a day, uh, come for the day. Sign up for the day. You can do that online as well. And come on Sunday. We're actually not going to have any services here on that Sunday. Uh, and so church will be down at Christmas Creek. It's about an hour 15 uh, drive uh, down in uh, Lamington, a beautiful spot and see if, you, if you haven't been there. So make sure you sign up, get there, come and see me if you've got any questions. That is in two weeks' time. It's going to be a wonderful time together. All righty, well, we kicked off a series last week uh, called Finding the Good Life, and we're looking at uh, the power and the joy uh, and the importance of connection and relationships. Why don't you cast your eyes to the screen, watch the bumper video, and I will be back in just a moment. Have you ever wondered what the key to a good life is? Harvard researchers have studied thousands of people for over 80 years, and they've figured it out. The key to a good life is relationships. Over and over again, they've found that people who are successful and happy are the ones who lean into relationships with their families, friends, and communities. But these researchers only discovered what God showed us long ago. Just like it says in Luke 10, 27, we are created for community. Whether that's relationship with God, your partner, your family, or your community. The Bible says it, the study's proven it. So together, let's learn how to live the good life.
Very good. So uh, we started that last week, and uh, I probably set out the foundation which works its way through uh, into, the ne- into the coming weeks. And uh, I began to unpack and look at the foundation and the model for relationships, for healthy relationships, healthy connection, is actually in Christ. And the way that I articulated it, I think we've got a, just a really simple graphic, uh, is like this. Actually, it's Jesus who shows us and reveals to us how we can live in harmony, in reconciliation with ourselves and with God. God shows us through His Son, Jesus Christ, actually what it means to live a reconciled, integrated life. It's in Christ that we find forgiveness from the shame that we carry. It's in Christ that we find our identity. It's in Christ that we find our purpose. There is something about who Jesus is and what he has done for us that that shows us the way forward in relationships. As we are forgiven, as we are given a new identity, therefore we can go in vulnerability and share our lives into that second circle, which is in the body of Christ, Christian community. It's actually in Christian community with one another that we mediate reconciliation, that we find reconciliation, where we find hope, where we find healing as we are vulnerable with one another, as we meet in Christ. That is what we see in Scripture. And we looked last week at how, uh, as Paul uh, wrote um, to the church, he said, this is a picture that I'm inviting you into. Every one of us is invited up into this. This picture of being in Christ and being in Christ's body, that is where we find meaning, purpose, hope, and healing. And then from that, from this fundamental paradigm, then other relationships are formed and flourish. That's the paradigm. That's the the essential. And then out of that, friendships are formed. Family is formed. Marriage is formed. Our relationship with the other is formed. And so over the next two weeks, it's kind of a short series. Uh, to be honest, uh, I was saying to someone before, we could be teaching and preaching in this for weeks because there is so much need for it and there is so much to unpack. And so I, I do apologize. That I feel, if it feels a little bit like you're drinking from a fire hydrant today, you know, over the next few weeks, I do apologize because there is such a longing. And, and we looked at this last week, there is so much loneliness and actually, there is a, a, a growing inability to be able to know how to do life together uh, in an isolated world. But today, we're going to look at one of those relationships that extends out from here. And that's the critical, important relationship of marriage. The good life. The good life is found in relationship, and surprisingly, if you, know, if you consider society and culture today, that's actually found in marriage. And I say it's surprising because if we're really honest, if we're really honest in, in, a, in our society and our culture today, marriage has, it has lost its meaning or is losing its sense of meaning. You ask, and the stats would say, the research says, you ask millennials and younger generation, uh, does marriage equal a good life? Many of them would say, no. No, marriage actually equals unhappiness, not happiness. And in many ways, the idea and the ideals of marriage have shifted and changed. 
You know, marriage today is, is, is largely reflecting a, the larger individualized culture that we live in. And this is a significant shift. The individualism of our age has certainly impacted the way in which we see marriage. The vision of marriage has moved from social responsibility, and I use this in very broad terms now, towards individual Fulfillment, And so we see in this hyper-individualistic age that marriage now is shaped and formed or, or viewed as something that should fulfill the self. Marriage is about self-fulfillment, not social responsibility. It was interesting just reading the, uh, the statement that came from Hugh Jackman and Deborah Lee Finesse. You know, sadly, they announced their their separation a few weeks ago. Love Hugh Jackman and, and love his one of my favourite actors, as I'm sure many of you appreciate uh, his acting and his singing and his he, he does everything, doesn't he, Hugh Jackman? But, but it, it was an interesting comment, and this is an observation, not a criticism. Please hear that. He said this: "Our journey now is shifting, and we have decided to separate to pursue our individual growth." It was, just, it was an interesting statement to say. Our individual growth, our individual fulfillment is actually the most important thing. And this is, this is, is very natural and, and, and a very much understood within our world and our context as we live. That we actually think, and no one goes into marriage really saying it's all about me. Well, maybe most people wouldn't. But because we live in a culture and swim in a culture that's highly individualized, it's pervasive. It sits within us. When we, when we think about marriage, we think, what is in it for me? But in saying that, marriage isn't dead. Marriage, marriage isn't, isn't a for, you know, kind of like something to be cast aside because it, maybe it doesn't fulfill all our individual needs. There is still this idol of marriage. I mean, you just have to turn on the TV and it rotates through, doesn't it? Time and time again, we see whether it's uh, the farmer wants a wife uh, or the bachelor or the bachelorette or married at first sight or whatever. There is still this idolization of marriage. There's still this desire uh, for this, this, this idea, at least, of Marriage, it's kind of set up as the thing that, that, that we all aspire for and long for. And as I mentioned last week, that's certainly the case within the church as well. With the advent of the sexual revolution, which I think feeds into some of this uh, narrative, the church largely has responded by saying marriage is the thing. And it's kind of set marriage up as the ultimate, this is the thing that every person needs to pursue uh, and you've got to do it. And, it. and somehow within the church, it's worked its way out to be idolized. And so we find, I certainly, as someone growing up, there was the pressure, you've got to find the one. We've got to find the one. Quick, the sooner the better, find the one. But here's the problem with any idol. Whenever you idolize anything, you will ultimately become its servant. Whatever you set up as an idol will ultimately become a master and you will serve it. And that's certainly the case with marriage as well. You know, if marriage is an idol, when you are single, it'll be the thing that you're always chasing after. It'll be the thing that, that, that you go after above all else and will ultimately lead to disappointment and failure. Or you will surrender your values and your beliefs in the pursuit of that idol. And if you're married, married and marriage is your idol, then it will ultimately lead to disappointment because no one 
can fulfill the dreams that you've set up if marriage is your idol. The expectations will never be met. And so in this, in this context of individualism and idolization, it may feel at times that marriage is impossible. And certainly if we look at the statistics in our Western culture today, if we, if we look at more specifically in Australia, we see actually that marriage is becoming less relevant. In the Australian Institute of Family Services, which is a government organisation, they report that people are delaying getting married. They're putting off marriage. And so uh, in 2021, the median age of married men, for men to get married, was almost 31 years, and women was, women was 29 years old, where in the 1970s, men, the average age for marriage was 23 and for women, it was 21. So marriage is being delayed, and less people are getting married. Again, a significant decline since 1970. In fact, marriages have more than halved. Almost a third of marriages today per 1,000 people than there were in the 1970s. Less people are getting married. Yet marriage is still, despite all of this, a valued part of a society. Feels like a little bit of a mystery. Why marriage? Why in our world is marriage still seen as an important thing? It is a mystery. And that's exactly what Paul says. And we're going to dive into the, the, the gospel, uh, it's not the gospel, the book of the letter of Ephesians, where Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. It's kind of like the, the main, there's not a lot to be honest, written on marriage in the New Testament. This is probably the main source where Paul writes about the value of marriage. And so we're going to read this passage this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open up to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 21 together. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, of which I say, Amen. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wow. There is a lot in there. But I'm going to go, and now we, we're, not, we're going to sit at a higher level. I'm going to dive deep. I actually preached on this a few years ago. If you want to go, go deeper into this passage, uh, then you can go back uh, through our podcast and have a listen. I, I, I feel like in the time we've got, I want to take a higher level principle view. 
And Paul says, as he, as he provides and speaks into marriage, he ultimately says, marriage is a mystery. It's a mystery. And I agree. Megan is a mystery. Sorry, sweetheart. I mean, you, the, the reality is, is that 13 years ago, we got married. I've got, got some photos here. This is where, this was where we started. Sorry, sweetheart. This is where we started dating. And, uh, and now this is the picture. I try to get the same thing. Megan looks, Megan hasn't changed. Look at that. I'm, look, I'm saying to Gray, I'm looking old. Megan hasn't changed too much. But she's changed a bit, you know. Over time, I feel like, you know, there's there's this shift and change. It's a mystery as as I try and figure out who this amazing woman is. And sometimes, I've got to be honest, I'm confused. I'm confused. She changes. But the reality is, and anybody who's married here knows this, Megan, I'm sure, and I haven't spoken to her about this, feels like she's been married to five different men over the last 13 years. Because I know that I've changed, and I know that I'm a mystery. There is something about us as people that is incredibly mysterious. We do. We change. We scratch our heads and go, my goodness, the person that I've married is different And I can't figure them out. Marriage is a mystery. It's a mystery because people are a mystery. And certainly, as I've kind of already outlined, as we look on from culture in, a society in, marriage is a mystery. It challenges our understanding of what the good life should be. Right? As, we, as we look at the good life today, we celebrate and go, we want freedom. But when you look at marriage, marriage doesn't seem like freedom. With marriage, we see limitations, limitations in freedom, limitations in what you can do, limitations in what money you can spend. And then kids come along, and then there's a whole bunch more limitations. When we look at marriage, we see actually there's a lot, seems like there's a lot of things you can't do. Limitations on economic status, limitations on sexual expression, a whole bunch of things. We look at marriage today and go, marriage is a mystery. This doesn't make sense. And so in many ways, our world today, our Western world has kind of reconfigured marriage to maybe move away from the mystery And maybe take back a little bit more control. And so we see very much these days that the way forward, the way that we we seem to conduct ourselves within relationships is more around this idea of cohabitation. Again, when you ask emerging generations what they see as the way forward in relationships, cohabitation is believed to be the right step forward to create robust, romantic relationship that is lifelong. That's what is believed. But actually, that belief is contradicted by research. There's been plenty of research that's been done around this. One uh, one research paper that came out in 2012 says this, couples who cohabit before marriage and especially before an engagement or an otherwise clear commitment tend to be less satisfied with their marriages and more likely to divorce than couples who do not. 
And in 2018, Rosenfeld and Rosler again did a report, and this came out through the New York Times, and it writes, it says this, cohabitation before marriage was associated with a lower risk of divorce in the first year of marriage, but a higher risk thereafter. They interpreted this finding in the light of experience theories, noting that living together before marriage could give couples a leg up at the very start of marriage because there is less of an adjustment to being married and specifically to living together. But they found this advantage to be short-lived. Other factors related to the experience may take over from there, such as how cohabitation can increase acceptance of divorce. See, in our, in our world, in our mind, we think actually we can hold on to our freedoms, we can do our thing through this idea of cohabitation. But actually by doing that, we're actually removing some of the power of marriage because the research also says that marriage does make us happier. Despite the realities and the experiences I know in this room, and, and I've got to be honest with you, these are the, these are the messages I find really hard. Because I know for myself and for the experiences in the room, it does evoke our, you know, evoke our own experiences and our own pain. But despite that, the research does say that in general, marriage makes people happier. Marriage is a mystery. It doesn't seem to make sense in our modern mindset, but, it, but the research and what we see actually says that marriage works. And I think the reason for this is, and we've unpacked or we've read it from, from Scripture this morning, is that because marriage is actually anchored in something that's far richer and far deeper. Paul articulates that marriage is anchored in the concept of God himself. When Paul says marriage is a mystery, He's saying it's a mystery because it reflects, it speaks to, it, it, it responds to, it inhabits, it grabs hold of the concepts of who God is and how God relates and loves his people. See, marriage is, is, is built into the character and the nature, or at least reflects the character and the nature of God. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Well, who is God? God is, and we looked at this last week, God is a God of covenant. God is a God who comes for us. God is a God who gives himself for us, who sacrifices himself for us. We see throughout the scriptures that God says, I am a God who is slow to anger, who is rich in love. I'm a God who is committed in covenant to people. And we see that ultimately reflected in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We looked at this last week that Jesus has given himself for us in order that we may be united to himself. That is a mystery. That God would come and die for us and create a space where we could be reconciled with him. Here is the covenantal God who does not let go. Who in spite and despite all that we have done, makes a way for reconciliation, makes a way for relationship. There is something about the heart of God and the way in which he has made covenant and has been faithful to the covenant with us. That speaks to the heart of marriage. It's a mystery, but it reflects the heart of God. As G.W. Knight says, Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage. He already had Christ and the church in mind. 
This is one of God's great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. Marriage reflects the heart of God for his people. And so marriage then makes sense when it is made in Christ. Marriage makes sense in Christ. And so I want to just map out really quickly just some of the ways in which we see marriage being worked out in Christ. Firstly, we see that throughout Scripture, marriage is made central. So right back at Genesis, we see that in the first few chapters that there is a wedding, a wedding between Adam and Eve. And this, this, this kind of starts the, the process and the journey of deep connection of humanity. As we journey through then, we see that Jesus restates and reaffirms in the New Testament those marriage values. In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees seek to try and trip Jesus up over uh, issues uh, and a question of divorce. And Jesus says this, haven't you heard that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Jesus is restating the value of marriage that is found right back in Genesis. Jesus affirms the old school view of marriage. You know, the traditional view of marriage, which in our world today is a mystery and seems crazy. That marriage is for, for one man and one woman for life brought together as one flesh, where sexual union and emotional union takes place. Not only does Jesus affirm that value of marriage, but then Paul, as we've just read in Ephesians, restates again this same statement. For a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife in one flesh. Paul affirms that same value of marriage. There is something about marriage which, uh, which it sits at the heart. So as it begins in the garden, so there will be a great wedding at the end. And we see that there is the marriage feast of the Lamb with the bride of Christ, the church. There's this wedding picture where, where Christ and his church are brought together. Again, this covenant where the mystery of God is, is seen in Revelation. See, marriage is central within Scripture. But as we looked at last week, and, this, and the, the principles that we look at are not just principles for marriage, they're just principles for relationship. We see that because of sin, marriage is hard. Sin makes marriage hard. Sin causes pain in relationships, and that is magnified in the context of marriage. I know that for myself. There is something about our brokenness and our shame and our pain when that's brought into covenantal relationship, when that's brought into marriage, that, that our wounds and our pain is magnified. All of a sudden, when you're married, for those who, of you who have been married, who have been married, are married, You'll know this. It's almost like you're looking up against a mirror. It's a vulnerable place to be. And our wounds and our pain is exposed. 
And Paul recognises this. And we've got to read, as he speaks to, to marriage in Ephesians, he's actually, there's a context to which he is speaking. He's speaking to the body of Christ. He's speaking to believers. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, he starts by saying this. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality of any kind or impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. He then goes on, and I'm not going to go on and on about it, but he then begins to list off all these things, all these sins, all these wounds, all this shame that sits in the heart of humanity and in the heart of the people that he's writing to. He acknowledges and says, this is the way that you used to live. Come on, let's be honest in this place. Let's be honest. We're all broken. Paul's saying, you've all made mistakes, you've all sinned, and there is a shame that it's attached to it. And we need to be honest with ourselves and go, we're all broken. We're all wounded. We all have our pain. And that is the reality of who we are, the reality that we need to work through. There's that hope. I want to give you hope in a moment, but I also want to just say, that by acknowledging that there is sin and there is pain and there is woundedness should actually be a relief. Should actually go, oh, okay. I'm not perfect and I can't be perfect. And the other hope is that I'm not looking for somebody who is perfect. I'm not looking for somebody who's, who's going to fulfill all my needs because it's impossible anyway. The truth is, is that you will never marry the right person. You'll never marry the right person. There's a well-known statement by Stanley Howis, a uh, theologian from Yale, and he says this, destructive marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Is there any amens in the, in the house? He goes on to say this. He says, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. <laughs> marriage is a mystery. But the truth is, is that we are all sinful. We're all broken. And we're all in need of a saviour. And that's where Jesus comes in. See, we, we rely on Paul. This just comes in and time and time again, as he says right at the beginning, you are in Christ. Follow Christ, God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You've got this identity in him and walk in the way of life. Love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, even though we, we struggle under the weight of our own sin, there is hope because there is hope in Jesus Hope for forgiveness, hope for identity, hope, for, hope for, for purpose, hope for healing. 
And see, as Paul begins to map this out, he says, you are now a changed people. Yes, you were once of this way. Yes, you once carried shame, but now, but now in Christ you are new. I want to summarize this next movement as saying that it's actually submission and sacrifice that makes marriage like any relationship possible. Submission and sacrifice makes marriage possible. Jesus goes on to say, off the back of this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, submit to one another. And then we read this, this passage, didn't we? We read this passage before where it says, women, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. And, and if, if, uh, if other things that I've said right now aren't controversial enough in our world today, this is dynamite. You say, what? Submit, love, respect? Are you kidding me? That's antiquated. That's out of date. I want to say a couple of points. You can go and listen to another message I preached on this. I want to say these things. Submission is for everyone. We are invited to submit and told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And yes, men are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but that doesn't mean women get a free pass because we're all called to love. We're all called to love. We're all called to submit. Because that is the way of Christ, and that is what we are invited into. Tim Keller says it this way, modern Western readers immediately focus on and often bristle at the word submit, because for us it touches the controversial issue of gender roles. But to start arguing about that is a mistake that will be fatal to any true grasp of Paul's introductory point. He is declaring that everyone he is about to say about marriage assumes that the parties are being filled, and this is where I want to go, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Only if you have learned to serve others by the power of the Holy Spirit will you have the power to face the challenges of marriage. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ to enable us and help us to serve, to submit, to love, to care, to surrender, to sacrifice. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes marriage powerful. And again, Paul embeds this in this chapter in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is what Tim Keller is saying. In verse, uh, in verse 18, Paul writes just before this marriage passage, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The way in which we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, which enables us to submit. In fact, it's not just submit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to be changed, to be more like Jesus Christ. As we surrender to Christ, as we are filled by his spirit, he enables us to live and to love. It's the power of the spirit that enables us to reflect the fruits of the spirit. 
It's the power of the Spirit in us that, that changes us and molds us and forms us. And marriage is a gift when the Spirit is at work because it forms us in a profound way. See, marriage is primarily not about your happiness. Marriage is about your holiness. And when we find ourselves in marriage to that strange other, as Stanley Howarus talks about, we are entering into a journey of transformation and change. We're entering into a journey of transformation. As the Spirit works in us, as we are confronted with our own pain and our own shame, as the Spirit of Christ works in us, there is grace, there is healing, there is how we pray healing and wholeness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's an ongoing thing. I've certainly been... Megan and, and my experience, and it continues to be. I mean, even, again, I, was, I said I wasn't going to mention our trip, but I am. Like, you know, even even as, we're, as we're on the, don't grimace, sweetheart, it's okay. <laughs> I just realized that, you know, as we're, we're kind of like in a caravan with four kids and the pressure and the tension, we've all, you know, we know, we realize it's like, man, I I've got so far to go. There are things that are coming out in me as I'm relating to Megan that God needs to deal with. There is, there is a patience that I need to find. There are fruits of the Spirit that I thought I'd nailed, but I clearly haven't. This is the reality, the openness, the joy, the working out of the Spirit of God in the context of marriage. God has intentionally purposefully created marriage out of his own heart. It's a gift. It's a gift given that reflects his heart. And it's a gift for us as we allow his spirit, the spirit of Christ, to be at work in us. And therefore, marriage creates the context for flourishing. Filled with the spirit, empowered by the spirit, allowing the spirit of Christ to be at work in us. It is the context for friendship. With humility and vulnerability and teachability, it is the context for a deepening friendship. Marriage is a context not just for friendship, it's a context for sexual intimacy. It is the place for sexual intimacy. And God has designed it that way. See, marriage in God's vision sees sex as something that is sacred, something that is beautiful. Now, reading people like Louise Perry recently, if you haven't read her, read her and others, as we are kind of down this sexual freedom route, we are beginning to see that actually things are imploding. We're seeing the abuse of sex that is outside the context of covenant and the destructive way in which it's working out. Let me tell you this, marriage is the ultimate, most wonderful, ancient and time-formed form of consent. You want to know where consent lies? Consent lies in the context of covenant, the covenant of marriage. Friendship, sexual intimacy, and ultimately family. Family flourishes or it Again, the research shows, and again, we could go into this. This is something that we don't have time to go into, but 
The research is, it, it time and time again reveals that the best context for children to be raised is in the context of a family of a father and mother. Now I realise that as I say all of this, that this raises a whole bunch of questions and, and I, I don't, I know it challenges us and I'm probably this week just kind of going, oh my goodness, this challenges me. But I'm also aware that many of us have got very different experiences. That we have, uh, you know, things have been done to us or we have done things or our life experience has not gone the way that we, we'd hoped. And so I want to say at, at this final point, that there is always hope in Jesus. There is always hope in Jesus. There is always restoration in Jesus. There is always life in Jesus. In Jesus, there is always hope. I love this, this part of Paul where he says in verse 29, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, fed, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body fundamentally we are if you are in Christ you are members of his body and that is the starting point Jesus has made a way for reconciliation he's made a way for hope he's made a way for life and he creates that context or in Christian community if we go back to that diagram, the reality is that for every one of us, firstly, we're invited into relationship with God. And primarily uh, and fundamentally, as a result, we are invited into relationship in Christian community. They are the fundamental fundamentals for meaning, purpose, and hope. Marriage is an offshoot of that. Friendship is an offshoot of that. Family an offshoot of that. But for all of us who are in Christ, we find ourselves firstly and primarily in Him and in His body, for we are members of His body. Now I realise that, that as I'm standing here, I know that there is going to be different experiences, that there is going to be pain, there's going to be disappointment, but I want you to know and I want us to know, every one of us, that Jesus is both our source of healing and Jesus is our source of strength. My prayer is that our church will be a source of healing and a source of strength. I also want to acknowledge and say that the church, and I mentioned this last week, we have not done well in loving and caring for those who are unmarried. The statistics say, and the reality is in our city today, that more and more people are remaining single, and that would be true in the church as well. And the church, with its obsession at times with marriage, has not created room for those who are single. And I'm really sorry for that. And I know that we have got to do better. We've got to move the goalposts. We've got to change the vision of actually what it means to be whole. 
And so we're thinking through that. I'm having conversations right now with people in our congregation to show us how do we do this well? How do we create a community? How do we create a language? How do we create a context that is that it's not about the marrieds and the singles? But actually, it's a context of we are God's family together, finding fulfillment and joy and hope in walking together in Christ. We've got to do better. We've got to do that story better. I want to say for you who are single here today, Jesus offers hope. There is hope. There is hope. I think for the invitation for all of us, this morning is to put Jesus at the center. Whether you are married, whether you are single, whatever your story, whatever your journey, whatever your questions, the invitation is again to put Jesus at the center. Because when we put Jesus at the center, it is there where we find the starting point for connection, for hope, for healing, for reconciliation, for life. I wonder whether we can stand here in this place. I know that there's lots of questions and there might be questions that are coming out of this and if you're wanting to chat further, I'd love to have a talk. I'm doing this, I'm sharing this tonight at our 5pm as well, largely filled with young single students and young professionals. Next week, I'm actually creating a space for some Q&A at our Sunday service because I realise that there are so many questions I don't even know. I'm getting old. But I know that this is so fundamental to us and so important for us. Relationships are so important. So if you want to come along next Sunday night, um, you'd be more than welcome. Or if you've got questions, please please do let me know or get them to me. As I was praying for us this week, and as I was sitting in Ephesians chapter 5, which is so deep, rich, powerful, and I realized that I have gone so 20,000 foot level with Paul this morning, and I acknowledge that, to be honest, I'd love to have unpacked it in four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, but we can't. But if there was one thing, just felt that just dropped from my heart for you today and for us today is... It's just that, that statement from Paul, which was be filled with his Holy Spirit. Be filled with his Spirit. We all need the power of his Spirit. No matter what our story is, no matter what our journey is, no matter what we're going through, we need the presence and the power of Holy Spirit in our lives. And allow the Spirit of Christ to fill our hearts. I wonder whether we're going to have a prayer team in just a moment and you can receive prayer for whatever, if you would like that. But before we do, I just wonder whether we can just be still. I'm going to get the team just to sing over us. And I invite you, maybe you want to sing these songs, only Jesus. Jesus, I'm making you the center. Maybe you just want to offer a prayer. Maybe right now you just want to do business with God. Maybe there's those things, there's a whole bunch of things that have just been triggered for you this morning and And you just need to come back to Jesus and just allow him to speak to you, to allow him to minister to you. And then we'll see where we go from there. Come on, why don't we just close our eyes? Why don't we just be still?
Maybe you just want to put your hands out in front of you and say, oh God, I just, I need you afresh. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.